0: The Mike Tomlin Game Day Podcast with Steelers Digest editor Bob Labriola. Okay, Coach Dor- throughout your time as the head coach here, you have chosen to handle disciplinary matters in-house, and you kept to that procedure after the unsportsmanlike conduct penalties against Deontay Johnson and Marcus Allen in last Sunday's game in Carolina. Uh, why do you believe the in-house method is the right way to go?
1: Because unless you're a, a part of our group dynamics, you don't understand the makeup of it. And so your judgment of such things might be skewed or inaccurate. And so I just try to minimize the distractions by by letting in-house business be in-house business, especially when it comes to sensitive things and things that are discipline related. I just don't think it's fair to, co- to the collective or the guys to, to make private things public. And, and I view some of those things, whether it's discipline or corrections or learning, Uh, at times when it's sensitive as private things.
0: Um, But you wouldn't consider, for example, you bringing it up in a team meeting in front of the rest of the team uh, going public,
1: would you? Not at all. Matter of fact, that is just the forum uh, that I'm looking for.
0: Um, What about, uh, you know, when you say handle things in-house, does that necessarily mean that you're doing the handling or might that include some of the individual's teammates?
1: Um, it, it it means it's in-house. It, it's, it means usually all of the above, me and, and then some.
0: Have you found that one of those two um, tax works better, you or his teammates?
1: I, I think we, when we start using terms like handle things in-house, I think everybody knows what that means. And I think that means all hands on deck and all all tools are useful.
0: Uh, two weeks ago, during the loss to the Ravens, Baltimore came out ahead in the physical confrontations during that game. And then after the win in Carolina, you talked about winning the, the attrition game, which I took to mean that you decided that uh, the Steelers won uh, the physical confrontations in that game. Uh, what changed between those two games? Is it more of a mindset
1: or did it have, did it have more to do with technique? Um it, it's, it's mindset, it's technique, it's schematics. Sometimes it's just, you know, the bounce of the ball in terms of how things unfold. Um we had an agenda in terms of waging award of, of attrition and putting the games in the hands of our big people. Uh Carolina did as well. And um, we were able to get it done, and that's what I was acknowledging. Um, it can be reflected in a lot of ways. Um, the number of short yardage opportunities we had on offense. I think it's, a lot has been written and said about the fact that we, you know, converted 12 or 16 or whatever on third down, 75%. But five or six of those were were short yardage related. And those globally are high percentage um, conversions. But they also speak to what you're doing on first and second down. And so when I see statistics like that, and obviously I feel it in stadium, that's what I mean when I say that we won the war of attrition. We we were able to control the flow of the game through, through our ground game and manage possession downs and being highly convertible possession downs. And by the same token, Carolina had one third down and two, and they had no third down and ones. And so not only did that tee us up to win the possession down battle on the defensive side of the ball, but it's also reflective of what we were doing to them in terms of minimizing their run game on first and second.
0: Uh, one of the players you uh, pointed out as having a nice contribution to the run defense was Larry Joby. Uh, what about his game makes him good uh, against the run?
1: He's got built-in leverage. He's not a tall guy for an interior defensive lineman. Um, and he's got good quicks, whether it's vertical quicks in terms of his burst and get off or whether it's lateral quicks in his ability to move laterally with his gap on stunts. Uh, he's got good short area quicks. Uh, he's got built-in leverage because he's not a tall guy. And I think oftentimes that that plays as an advantage in the run game.
0: Uh, when facing a team like the Raiders, and the Raiders, they can deploy the NFL's leading rusher in Josh Jacobs, as well as one of the league's most dynamic playmaking receivers in Devontae Adams. Uh, does the defense have to pick one or the other to really
1: focus on? They have to pick one or, one or the other each snap. And so um, the game circumstance, the field positioning, the moment means something. Um, and And obviously we got a lot of experience in terms of, dealing with with a unit with a makeup similar to this we were we were very similar to this a number of years ago when we had Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown and and so schematically defensively we lived that life down in and down out in training camp like settings and so forth and and so it's not an unusual circumstance for us for us it's about picking the instances and circumstances where we feel like Jacobs could be featured and work to minimize him schematically while understanding the ramifications of that in terms of how we deal with atoms and vice versa in one dimensional passing circumstances, we'll allocate a lot of schematics toward eliminating or minimizing atoms. but we also better understand how to manage the, the the unintended consequences of that relative to Jacobs.
0: Um, Not that you would use the weather as an excuse, but in a situation like the one here tonight, don't you have to make some
1: concessions to it? Certainly. Um, But I could, I remind our staff and our players continually that we're not the only ones that have to make adjustments uh, relative to the weather. Um, The weather is a factor for both teams. Uh, It affects both of us logistically in terms of how we get from point A to point B. It affects us in terms of the schematics and how the game might unfold from a planning standpoint relative to those things. My point is, is that weather is a factor that's not within any of our controls, and so As long as we do a a relatively good job of dealing with it, meaning better than the Vegas Raiders, then that's what I'm searching for. And I choose to talk to our guys in that way so we have a can-do attitude regarding it. And we understand that there's somebody else on the other end of this as well. And they have challenges as it pertains to it as well. And so our attitude is is usually going to dictate our outcome. we got to have a can-do attitude. Uh, We recognize it's a factor but we also recognize we got a job to do. So do the people that we play and we move through it with that spirit.
0: You know, I don't expect you to know specifically uh, all of the advancements, but you've been in this game a long time. There certainly have to have been things in terms of equipment advancements, you know, for the players and coaches and people who are out there.
1: It's not even close to what it used to be. Okay. Um, in, In so many levels. There's piping under NFL fields now where they don't get frozen. Years ago, man, when you watch legendary video, man, like the Ice Bowl, man, you saw Bob Lilly digging his cleats in the ground, trying to get footing before the offensive line came to the line of scrimmage. That's never an issue in today's game. There's heating under all fields. The field is not going to be frozen. The bench area has heated benches and technology. Um, the technology in terms of hand warmers, foot warmers, and, and, and the uh, – the amount of materials and things that you can put on now, it, it's not its not nearly what it used to be. The most challenging component of weather, man, is the poor fans sitting in the stands. We're better off than they are, I promise
0: you. Uh, rookie inside linebacker Mark Robinson played seven defensive snaps in Carolina, the first regular season defensive snaps he's played in the NFL. You know, he's a run and hit guy, as you might describe him, and that makes him interesting. But what are some of the examples of the kinds of things he has to learn about playing defense before he can really uh, compete for a larger role?
1: You know, really just all the minutia associated with play, um, the ability to key and and trust what your eyes tell you, the ability to understand the communication component of the position at this level, um, talking to the guys in front of you, behind you. Uh, He's done an awesome job in terms of growing over the course of this season and and that's why we gave him some snaps. He was deserving of that. Uh, he has a skill set that we can't coach. Um, he embraces the physical component of play. Uh, he's a physical matchup and confrontation guy. Uh, but the intellect component of the game, the nuances of the game, the things that you have to know to play football at this level, he's still very much in development. He's a one-year linebacker at the college level. Uh, within that year, we did see some things that were really attractive, and that's why we're doing business with him. And and he's proven those things to be true. Um, but we got into this relationship with the understanding that it was going to be a growth and development thing. Uh, there was a lack of exposure to the position. But if you value coaching, um, if, if you honor coaching, you run to those projects, not away from them. Uh, I love to be a part of someone's developmental process. That's why we love drafting, you know, the third year junior the 20 year old guy. That's why we um, embrace that. Some of our best experiences have been with guys. That were those type of guys, Marquise Pouncey, Le'Veon Bell, and others. Um, I view the same thing about a guy who's relatively new to a position, like embracing the opportunity to to train Villanova as an offensive tackle, for example. Uh, I think those are good coaching challenges, and I want to put together a staff that embraces that uh, and helps young people get better. I think that's how we add value to the talent that we have here.
0: This past Wednesday, the Steelers, the NFL. The people of Pittsburgh suffered a great loss when Franco Harris died. Uh, as you might say, his football accomplishments need no endorsement. But could you relate your interactions with him a little bit in the community?
1: I tell you, man, he just was such a special man, um, and for a lot of reasons. Um, but, but his appetite for people, his patience with people, um, his general good spirit, um, and love for this organization and this community was very evident in, every, in everything that he did. Um, we had an opportunity to spend a lot of time together in non-football settings. Um, you know, he served on, on, on some charitable boards with my wife. Um, I served on a board or two with him years ago when I first got here. Um, when you know him, you get an opportunity to spend time with him. It was just very evident that he's a guy that embraced the responsibilities that came with being him, uh, that he utilized his platform for the collective good, um, that he really had a passion uh, for the development, nurturing and assistance of young people. Uh, That can be reflected in the businesses that he ran, um, whether it was the bakery business that that featured um, nutritional food or whether it was his involvement in things like Pittsburgh Promise, which is a board that he and my wife served on for a number of years. Um, raise the money to educate uh, Pittsburgh public school kids beyond the high school level. Um, That's Franco. Um, He did it all in a very uh, humble way, um, in a very matter of fact way. Um, But boy, man, his passion and love and patience for people was ever present.
0: Uh, this was planned to be a special weekend for the Steelers franchise with the celebration of the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception and the retiring of Franco Harris's jersey. Do these kind of uh, nostalgic events, celebrations of franchise history, uh, can they or do they serve as motivation for the current team? I,
1: I, I think I think motivation is, is is probably an inappropriate word. I think it's educational uh, more than anything else. To, to be in a location and have an opportunity to meet men uh, men that you can relate to men that, that kind of walked in the in the, in the same grounds that you walk on and see that ordinary people collectively through their efforts and and work and spirit can do extraordinary things I think it's a history lesson and so um, I think there's an educational component that makes the discussion more than motivation uh, I view it as education and that's how I talk to our guys I educate them about the Immaculate Reception and its impact, not only on, on the lives of the men involved, uh, but this organization and what a, what a you know, what a global play it was to the game of football um, in, in terms of uh, its relationship uh, with its fans. Um, you know, I, I talk in that way because um, I'm an appreciator of history. I'm a study of history, uh, World War II, et cetera, et cetera. I just think that when we take the studier's approach, we're we're able to get more out of it. And so it's a learning experience more than anything else.
0: That's the Mike Tomlin Game Day Podcast. Subscribe and download new episodes every week and check out all of the other shows we have to offer on the Steelers Podcast Network that's available on the Steelers mobile app, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.